Would you please uh, take the Word of God with me and turn to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to begin. Um, we're going to begin in this study with a focus on Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to step away from Exodus chapter 19. And the reason for that is because we understand what this chapter means in the context of the entirety of the Bible. Uh, we know that this is a significant event because it's the only time it happens in the Bible. Uh, it's uh, the event at Mount Sinai. And the New Testament has actually much to say about what happened here. Uh, we know the New Testament says that in John chapter 1 that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so it's helpful to have a, a knowledge of the entirety of the Bible. And as we begin in the study of Exodus chapter 19, it's going to be um, first an understanding of who God is, what He is like, and what man is and what man is like. And we're going to come to the realization that Unless something happens, there is no way that you and I or any man can have any access to God. Unless something happens. Now we know what something happened. Jesus Christ happened. <laughs> and that changes everything. Uh, but it's important for us, because I believe if we understand what's going on here in Acts chapter 19, it will make what Jesus Christ has done for us of far greater significance than if we don't have the knowledge of what is going on here in Acts chapter 19. We're going to read here beginning in verse 8 down to the end of the chapter, but there are three times in this chapter, as I mentioned last week, that Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and comes back down. God has words that he speaks to Moses. Moses goes down. He relays that to the people. The people respond to God by giving words to Moses. Moses goes back to the mount and tells God what the people said. And that's going to happen three times. It happens three times in chapter 19. Now the timeline, when they come here at the beginning of chapter 19, they arrive at Mount Sinai. Remember from uh, their deliverance from Egyptian bondage, they went through uh, the, the Red Sea, and then uh, they went through the wilderness of, of Shur, uh, the wilderness of Sin, uh, Rephidim, and now they're in the wilderness of Sinai, or Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And uh, this is the place that God said that He would bring Moses back and that he, he would meet with Moses. That's the place where Moses had met with God uh, before when He called Moses. Now, they're going to be, if you look at Exodus 19.1, it says that they came there in the third month. And if you read the timeline in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 11, you find that the moment that they depart from this place is during the... 20th day of the second month in the second year. So that means that they're going to be here at Mount Sinai just under a year. So almost a year they're going to spend in this mountain. Now, from this beginning here in, in Exodus chapter 20 when the law is given, uh, then God is going to talk about uh, some uh, different aspects of the law. He's going to talk about uh, the moral law. He's going to talk about the civil law, and he's going to talk about also the religious law. And those are three, or the ceremonial law. 
the moral law, that's, I believe, to be the aspect of the law that's, that's timeless. It's, I believe, the law that's written in the heart of man. Those who even don't have the Word of God know the moral law. It's written on their hearts. But there's also uh, other sections of the law that's given. And one of those is the civil law. How Israel is supposed to operate as a society. And there would be consequences, right? And so if a man shed a man's blood, uh, that man's blood was shed. Uh, the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and that's, by the way, the civil law of, of Israel. And then there's the ceremonial law, and that is when God institutes uh, the tabernacle. And by the way, uh, really Exodus chapter, chapter 39 is, is uh, 40, the last chapter, is when the, temp, uh, the tabernacle is erected. But the instruction is given as to what's going to go into the construction, the, the material, and how everything is going to be set up. And God orders all those things, and He's going to talk about the priest. Uh, and how they're supposed to do their service. And we might say that that is the ceremonial law, uh, instituting the sacrifice, when are the sacrifices supposed to be done, what time, how they're supposed to be done. All that is happening in the book of Exodus. And by the way, all those things are a shadow of things to come. None of those things are instituted there, instituted there are designed to bring about salvation. Not at all. They're there to point them to Christ. And we'll see that clearly through the book of Exodus. And so they're going to be here for a long time, almost a year. And this is the beginning of this. Now, in Exodus 19, God, uh, Moses meets with God. When we turn the page in Exodus chapter, turn the chapter in Exodus chapter 20, when God gives, for example, the Ten Commandments, that's where he begins, that was given in chapter 19. He just, chapter 20 is when Moses relays it to the people. So, the children of Israel were instructed in two areas here for the next year, almost. They will be instructed in the law, and they will be instructed in the tabernacle. And we'll uh, deal with that, but I want to just give us an overview. But let's begin reading here in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 8. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, Exodus 19, beginning in verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today, and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people of Mount, upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a, uh, an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, 
and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set uh, bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. I want to bring your attention to verse 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp, notice, to meet with God. I want to preach uh, this evening on a meeting with God. A meeting with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you've revealed yourself uh, here in, on this mountain and that we have a record of it. We are thankful that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And you've given us everything that you want us to know about you and about who you are and what you're like. And so I pray that we might get an understanding of who you are, that we might very uh, be very appreciative and stand in awe of that which you've done for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is a meeting with God. We read in the, in the passage that Moses, after the three days that they were to prepare themselves, he's going to bring them uh, to the mountain, and the Bible says very clearly to meet with God. And so this chapter is about a meeting with God. And we know that in the first part of the chapter, Moses went by himself, and he, the Lord spoke to Moses, and Moses came down to the people and relayed to the people what God had said. And so uh, that was last week's study, and so he came down, and then uh, he goes back the second time, and the second time says, the next time you come, Moses, I want you to bring the people. I want you to bring the people so they can have a meeting with me, so that they can know, and the indication is not that God is going to speak directly to the people, but that God is going to speak to Moses, but He wants them to witness that God is speaking to Moses. So that when Moses comes down from the mountain, they know that these are not the words of Moses, but rather that they are the words of God. And so they're not going to come up on the mountain, but they're going to stand on the nether part, that just right outside, we could say, right outside the boundaries of the mountain. And they're going to be witnessing what is going on there. So what I'd like to do here is to lay the scene for us, to put ourselves, and I know that we're not at that time, but it's helpful sometimes to maybe put ourselves in the situation and 
look at the preparation for the meeting with God. And then to look at the manifestation of this meeting with God and then uh, draw some conclusions from that. But the first thing we see in our text is the preparation for the meeting with God. Uh, Moses goes a second time. Now remember the first time uh, God had told uh, Moses, uh, you have, notice verse 4, ye have seen what I did. Now he talks about their redemption, their deliverance out of Egyptian bondage and what God did for them on their behalf. Verse 5, he says, Now therefore, if ye will obey... Uh, my voice indeed to keep my covenant. Uh, uh, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And so he says, ye have seen, verse 4, verse 5, uh, if ye will obey, verse 6, and ye shall be a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. So that was uh, what God, with the Moses, uh, was to read to the people. You have seen what God has done. Now here's a condition, if you will obey the voice of God, then what happens is you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Moses comes down, he tells the people, and the people's reply is, whatever God says, we will do. Now what's going to come out of that into chapter 20 is, we'll begin with the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at the Ten Commandments uh, in detail when we get there. But that's what's going to come out. And that's what they're saying before they even know what's going to be said. Whatever God says, we will do. Now, just for sake, I know that's a, a spoiler of what's going to happen. But when they're going to hear what God says, they're going to say, we can't bear to hear. We can't handle this. We don't want God to speak to us anymore. Moses, you just talk to God. And so it's going to be greater than they can bear. But here when we look at the, this meeting with God, we see first of all the preparation for the meeting with God. How is, uh, are the people to prepare themselves? And so uh, Moses is going to uh, receive from God uh, directly some instruction as to how they can prepare for this meeting with God. And I will establish three areas of preparation. The first one is their cleansing. If you notice in verse uh, 10 and 9, The Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And so the first thing that they're to do is they are to sanctify themselves. Now, uh, specifically, the Bible says they are to wash their clothes. Now, I think here the application might be, we might think, uh, oh, okay, well, that means that uh, they're supposed to wash the clothes they're wearing. I don't think that's what he's referring to. I think he's referring to the whole house. They've been traveling through wilderness wanderings. Uh, they've been, by the way, they have three days to do that. That's plenty of time to wash their clothes, all their clothes. They've been traveling. Everything's dirty. Everything's dusty. They've been, we might say, defiled on the way. Everything's dirty. Everything's dusty. And now they are to prepare with this meeting with God. And God doesn't come and say, hey, let's have a meeting. He says, you need to prepare for this meeting. And the way that you're going to prepare for this meeting is you're going to cleanse yourselves. You're going to wash your clothes. Everything that is defiled, clothing-wise, in your houses, you're going to wash. Earlier, you remember, when we think about 
the idea of cleansing and sanctify, we, we mentioned that is to, to set apart. We read later in this chapter that the Mount Sinai was also sanctified. It was set apart. And remember, they are not to touch the mountain. No man and no beast could touch the mountain. Why? Because the mountain was deemed as holy, sanctified, set apart, that no one who was defiled could touch the mountain. Now, we know that the clothes were defiled, but this is really representative of what the people are. They are to demonstrate that they are cleansing themselves, preparing themselves. Why? It's a reminder of what? That they are defiled. That they are a defiled people. You remember even back in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5 when God meets with Moses on this same mountain. He saw the burning bush, and when he turned aside, uh, he, God saw that he turned aside. And you remember what God said to Moses? He said, uh, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. In other words, he says, look, you, you're, you're a defiled man. Now, uh, did that mean that removing his shoes meant that he was not defiled? No. God just wanted, to, wanted Moses to know that the basis of his communion and him speaking to Moses is that Moses had to understand that God was holy. And so Moses did something, if you would, practical to demonstrate that he understood that God was a holy God. Now, we understand that the dirt itself that Moses stood on was not holy. It was the fact that God was there and that God wanted to speak to Moses. And he just wanted Moses to remember that God is a holy God. And so here when the people are supposed to do something, they have three days of preparation. They are to prepare for a meeting with God. God wants to speak to his people. And as, he, and as they're expecting God speaking to them, he wants them to remember that they are defiled people and that they should cleanse themselves. Again, the basis of them hearing from God is they have to understand before God meets with them that God is holy. And then they are defiled. So that's the first uh, thing that they are to do in preparation for the meeting with God. The second thing that uh, they are to do is uh, we see not only their cleansing, but we see their boundaries. Uh, notice in their boundaries in verse 12 and 13, he says, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up, in, uh, up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live when the trumpet soundeth long. They shall come up to the mount. So they're going to come up to the mount, but they're not going to touch the mount. They're, come, they're going to come outside of the boundaries that have been set. And so that's something, they have three days. Now I would imagine it's not a small mountain. Mount Sinai is not a small mountain, it's a big mountain. It would take some time to set the bounds, the boundaries around the mountain. The, the children of Israel are in the wilderness of Sinai, so they're near the foot of the mountain, and they're going to practically set some boundaries. Now remember, God said, I'm going to come down upon this mountain. And so when we think about those boundaries, it represents what? The idea of cleansing is word defiled. The ideas of boundaries is that God is separate from sinners. 
And so the place where God is going to come down, this mountain, Mount Sinai, where God is going to speak to man, reveal himself to man, he wants them to know that they are defiled, and he wants also to them to know that he is holy and that they cannot enter into the presence of God, that they are not worthy to touch the mountain, the very mountain that God is going to come down on. Death would be the result of touching the mountain. They were to be noticed, there would be two options. You're either going to stone them, or thrust them through with a spear or an arrow, whatever instrument you want to use. They are to die. That is the punishment of the mountain. Now, is that, do we, might we might think that that is pretty serious? That when that words come to the children of Israel, that they might think, well, this seems to be pretty serious. Uh, we're going to make sure that our children don't go near that mountain because that's the mountain where God is going to come down and God is holy and He doesn't want us to touch the mountain and even our beasts cannot go near the mountain. The beasts themselves were also to be thrust through with a spear. In verse 14, notice, And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And so we're going to see here that he sanctifies the people. They wash the clothes. They're going to set the boundaries uh, around. And uh, we read right after that notice in verse 15. So the first, here's the first boundary, is... You're to not touch the mountain. There's going to be a separation between God and man. They're to take this meeting with God. They're to take this meeting with God seriously. They're to prepare themselves, and it's a serious thing. And so there's a separation between God and man. But also there's something else that Moses says in verse 15, And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. That's a second boundary that he puts. If you are a second line, you can't do that for the next three days. I don't want you to do that. And so what's the big deal at coming into your wives? Why is that? Well, I think that death, right, would be the result of touching the mountain and not understanding the line of separation between God and man. But this, I think, has more to do with distraction will be the result of seeking after pleasure and not preparing your heart to meet with God. In other words, I don't want you in the next few days, and by the way, the coming at your wives here is not something that's sinful. It's something that's holy. It's, it's good. It's not, uh, to be, it's not something that in and of itself is not good. But Moses says, I don't want you to be distracted. I don't want you to, as we prepare to have a meeting with God, I don't want you to indulge in all kinds of pleasures, and they may not be even wrong things, but I don't want you to engage in that. I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to take this seriously, because if you touch the mountain, you die, but I don't want you also to be distracted by pleasures in, in, in the world. So we see they're cleansing, they're defiled, their boundaries, God is holy, but the third area is we see their expectation. Why are they, what is this all about? Why are they supposed to cleanse themselves? Why are there to be those boundaries? Well, this whole chapter is about God meeting with His people. Notice verse 9. He says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And so, what is their expectation here? They're supposed to cleanse themselves. They're supposed to have some boundaries in their lives. Why? Because the expectation is this, that God is going to speak. And by the way, when God speaks, 
it's important. Because God is not a man. When God speaks, man should listen. Verse 17, Moses, later in the chapter, it says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to, notice, meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. Why did they come in this meeting with God? What's a meeting with God? A meeting with God is when God speaks. By the way, uh, that's why when I refer to the, the church meeting, I refer to it as a church meeting. Um, now, sometimes I'll say we have our church service, but it's really not a service. We're not performing a service. We're having a meeting with God. Service is somebody may serve God, do a perform a service. That's often what we do outside of the church meeting. But when we're coming together here, when we're referring to this is the meeting of the First Day Baptist Church, it's not us meeting with one another. It's us meeting with God. And in the meeting with God, what happens? God speaks. That's why the Word of God is is going to be at the forefront of our meetings. Because God speaks through His Word. It's important. So that we see the preparation for the meeting with God. Here it is. You're defiled. God is holy. But God wants to speak to you. That's how they're to prepare for this meeting. The second aspect that we find here is not only the preparation for the meeting with God, but the second aspect is the manifestation of the meeting with God. Uh, This manifestation is going to be like nothing else that we find in the Scriptures. Uh, This meeting with God manifests itself in a, uh, uh, if you would, in an awesome, overwhelming way. The Bible shows us that when God is going to manifest Himself in this meeting with His people, everyone everyone is going to tremble. Tremble. That's going to be the result. So what is this manifestation? This was a meeting like no other. What is this manifestation all about? I think the theme continuing through this chapter here in in Exodus 19, it is all about one central truth. That God is holy. By the way, we still believe that God is a holy God. Amen? That's not an Old Testament doctrine. It's a New Testament doctrine. Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy unto God which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of of your minds. And so we understand that what is acceptable to God is what? Holiness. God has not changed. He is a holy God. So how has God manifested Himself? I I really boil it down to three areas. We're going to see there was what they saw, what they heard, and how they were separated. Notice first of all the the, the sight, what they saw. Uh, Notice here through the verses we can kind of gain an understanding of what is it that they saw. Notice verse 9 of chapter 19. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee. Notice here the Bible says, I come unto thee, here it is, in a thick cloud. And so the scene is, we've seen thick clouds before. 
But no doubt, no clouds moving like that cloud. Because that cloud is not moving this way. This cloud is moving this way. And this thick cloud is going to come down upon Mount Sinai. Notice in verse 16, the Bible says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightning. So what did they see? They saw lightning. So they don't see this thick cloud coming down upon Mount Sinai, but they can see the lightning proceeding from the thick cloud. He says, lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. That's what they see. Notice verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. So you think about the entire mount was smoking. There was not only the cloud coming down, lightning proceeded from it, but smoke all in the mountain. Why? Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And so the idea here is you can see a cloud coming down from heaven upon Mount Sinai, and you see lightnings coming out of that cloud. And in the midst of this thick cloud, you see the presence of God coming down like fire. And as it comes down upon the mountain, the mountain begins to smoke. What happens, the Bible says, is we can, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And so the idea here is what they saw. They saw a thick cloud coming down. Lightning. Uh, uh, they saw, uh, notice the smoke, because the fire descended, God descended upon it as fire, and the smoke ascended, and the smoke was as the furnace, and, and then the, the mountain begins to, to shake. And they can visibly see. And so understand, this is not just a, an ordinary meeting. It's not as in time past when maybe God in a, um, a human form came and met with Abraham and, and different uh, people throughout the Old Testament up to this point. This is a different type of meeting where uh, the entire mountain is shaking and trembling and, and quaking. And that's what they're seeing. Uh, the idea here is just the sight of this meeting with God is enough to make you faint. It's a serious thing. It's not to be thought of lightly. No wonder God says nobody touched the mountain. No wonder God says cleanse yourselves. No wonder God says no, don't, don't be distracted. This is an important meeting. Uh, God hasn't done this with man. But He is doing it now. See, God wants us to know in this moment who He is. He is so much greater than man. He is so much higher. He is higher than the heavens. Even Solomon, when he prayed a dedication of the temple, he said, this temple is nothing. This temple, as great and as glorious as it may be, it cannot contain God. And the idea of all this happening before the eyes of the people, they're thinking, well, we've seen God do, do a great things through the plagues and He's brought about great deliverance, but we've never seen anything like this. God is manifest, manifesting Himself and that's the sight. But then we not only see the sight, but we have the sound. Notice verse, 19, uh, verse, um, verse 9, He says, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people. Uh, and so we see here that God is going to speak. Now, when we proceed in the chapter, what is he going to say? Notice verse 16. What's going to be the sounds? And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders. Now you see lightning, but you hear thunder. 
And so the mountain is roaring. And a thick cloud upon the mount, notice, and the voice of the, uh, of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now, they're not trembling because the, uh, the, 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 the earthquake hasn't happened yet. They're trembling at the sound. That's how booming the sound was. That's how, uh, that's how glorious and powerful the sound was that when they heard uh, the sound, they began to tremble and shudder at the very sound of what they heard. We read down in verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And so no doubt you saw the quake, but you also would hear it. And so God is manifesting Himself with man. We see their sight. We see the sound. But we also see the separation. Uh, because they're, they're not coming unto the mountain for a specific reason. Verse 17 says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. Well, what does that mean, the nether part? It means just outside the boundaries of the mountain. They can cross the boundaries. So they're standing at the nether part. And so there's a separation. They see this and they come to the mount as close as they can without touching the mount on the nether part. You see that repeated in verse 21, 23, and 24. When God goes back and forth in Moses, He mentions, notice how the language He uses, verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. Break through what? The boundaries. Make sure they don't break through the boundaries, Moses. Notice verse 23. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds unto the mount, and sanctify it. Notice verse 24. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron, with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through. So nobody could break through. They cannot touch the mountain. They cannot go up the mountain. They are separated. God has a meeting with man, but He is separated from them. Why? Because the mountain is where the presence of God is going to come. Now, that's the mountain. We don't have the tabernacle, but there is some uh, correlations between what we see in the mountain and what we see with the tabernacle. The tabernacle, when it was constructed, would have an outer court. The priests were allowed to go into the outer court and perform the sacrifice, but then they would go into the actual tabernacle, and they would go into what is referred to as the holy place. And they would go into the holy place, and certain priests had their uh, different respective ministries there in the holy place. Some uh, were on the incense, some with the bread, and so there was those different aspects of the daily... Uh, rituals that took place in the Holy of Holies, but there was one boundary that nobody could come across. And that was the Holy of Holies. The holy place was in the tabernacle, and they could have their uh, ministration in there, but then there would be a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, and nobody, no man could cross that veil. If any man crossed that veil, he died. If he did so in an unworthy way, we know that 
Two of Aaron's sons died because they offered uh, a sacrifice unto the Lord that was unworthy. They both died in the Holy of Holies. By the way, this is one of the reasons why when the priests went into the Holy of Holies, they had a rope attached around their ankle. Why? Because if they died, that's how you pull them out. Why? Because you can't go in there. Why? Because it's representative of the, of the presence of God. Now we know that that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so this is where God was. This was the presence of God. And so there is a separation later in the tabernacle that no man can come into the Holy of Holies. The only one that could do so was the high priest once a year. And he could enter into the Holy of Holies after he had offered a sacrifice for the atonement of the people. But he had to take the blood of that sacrifice and he had to sprinkle it on his vesture before he entered into the holy place. And if he did not sprinkle the blood on his vesture, then he died as soon as he stepped into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because it meant that he was not worthy to go in there unless innocent blood was shed on his behalf. So there's a separation between God and man. And this scene here in Exodus chapter 19 is all about this. Understand, man has to prepare themselves. Why? Because they are defiled. They have to set boundaries. Why? Because God is holy. And God wants to speak to man. And here's how God manifests Himself. He wants man to know that God is not a joke. And when He speaks, it's very important. And He's trying to get a hold of them, get their attention through the lightnings and the thunders and and all those things that are happening to get their attention. Because when God speaks, it is important. And although He wants to speak to man, man does not have access to God. He is not worthy to have access to God. But yet God wants to speak. We saw that from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed them and He threw them out of the garden and He put a boundary. The angel sat at the door and no man could enter into the Garden of Eden. That's where, by the way, God dwelt. That was the place where God fellowship with man. And then when man sinned, he was outside of that boundaries. He could not come into the place where God's presence was. He could not come into the place where God's fellowship was. Uh, God wanted man to know that you have been defiled, you have sinned, and you are not worthy to come into my presence. This is what this mountain is all about. They said at the beginning of the chapter, whatever God says, we will do. When they hear what God says, they said, we can't take it. We can't take it. This is too great for us. So we see the preparation for the meeting with God. We see the manifestation of the meeting with God. But lastly, we see the provision of God. Now I make that statement not based on what we find in Exodus chapter 19. What comes next in Exodus chapter 20 is the law. We might say the Ten Commandments, and we know that the Ten Commandments is not just about, and I'll go through every one of the commandments, it's not just about a letter of the law, it's about the spirit of the law. And when man recognizes, when he hears the law of God, and has this meeting with God, and God speaks to man, and God gives His holy standard, man will recognize in that moment that he cannot keep the standard of God He cannot fulfill the demands of God's holy law. He cannot. So what is this mountain about? Well, this mountain is where the law is given. And by the way, it's a very serious thing. 
God has revealed Himself to man and He wants man to know exactly what He is like. But as we go to the New Testament, if you turn with me to John chapter 1. Go with me to the New Testament and the book of John chapter 1. Notice verse, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh. Now, we have that understanding based on verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, with, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So we understand that the Word preceded the beginning of creation. The Word was not only with God, but also that the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the fact also that the Word, He is also Creator. That's Jesus Christ. And later, with the understanding of who the Word is, God in the flesh. So this is why this is so important here, to understand that Jesus is God. That Jesus didn't create another man to represent Him, but that God Himself came among men. Now understand the significance of that. When God has revealed Himself in the Old Testament, all that we know is that man has no access to God. That man cannot come into the presence of God. He is not worthy. God is holy. Man is defiled and God is separate from sinners. And God has laid some boundaries from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when He revealed Himself on Mount Sinai. There were boundaries when He established the tabernacle. There were boundaries to where man had to understand that he could not come into the presence of God. And when God revealed Himself to man over and over again, He wanted him to make sure every time, Moses, take off your shoes from your feet because you're standing on holy ground. Joshua, take off the shoes from your feet because you're standing in the presence of God and you're not worthy to come into the presence of God and so that's all we know in the Old Testament but we come to the New Testament and the Bible tells us in verse 14 of John 1 and the word was made flesh well who's the word that's God that's who it is God the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth Notice verse 15, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. And here is what he says in verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, so we go back all the way to Exodus chapter 19. The law came by Moses. Moses was... Uh, if you would, the, the mediator between the children of Israel and God. And uh, we saw that in Exodus 19 three times. God speaks to Moses. He goes down. He tells the people what God said. The people speak through Moses. Moses goes and tells God what the people said and go back and forth. He is the, um, uh, the mediator between God and man. And so the law came by Moses and Moses was a human mediator between God and man. But then when God comes on the scene... He is God in the flesh. He doesn't need a mediator. He is Himself through Christ, the mediator between God and man. 
And the interesting thing is now in this incarnation, in the fact that Jesus Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us, God no longer looks at man and says, you can't come and into where I am because I am holy and you're defiled. God becomes a man without ceasing to be God, but he comes and dwells among men because they can't reach him. Because they're not worthy to come into his presence. And so God manifests himself in the person of Jesus Christ. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he came, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says, I am the living bread. I am the living water. He declared who he was. He declared himself, I and my Father are one. Co-equal, co-existent with God the Father and God, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ came and he, he put an emphasis on one event that was going to happen. Throughout his three and a half year ministry, he, he reminded of his disciples. He began in Matthew chapter 16. From that moment forth, he began to tell his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and be betrayed in the hands of sinners and, and die, but after three days rise again. And the disciples initially did not understand it, but when we go to the crucifixion, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, when we get to the end of his ministry, he finally, finally accomplishes what he set out to do in his ministry. And understand, Jesus Christ, and we understand this, but Jesus Christ didn't come just to be a good teacher. He didn't come to be an example. He didn't come to be a, a philanthropist. He came to be our Savior. He came to die. That's why Jesus came. Oh, yes, He is an example. He's a great teacher. But He is so much more than that. A man can be a great teacher. But he cannot be God. A man may be a great philanthropist. But he, he cannot be God. A man can be a great example, but he cannot be God. Jesus is God. In Matthew chapter 27, the Word came and was dwelt among us. Remember, the law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now you remember, all that we know in the Old Testament so far is that everything that man knows is that man is separate from God. That man cannot come into the presence of God. He can't come into the Garden of Eden. He can't touch Mount Sinai. He can't come into the Holy of Holies. He cannot come into the presence of God. He is not worthy. And it's been that way all along. But then Jesus Christ, when He came to the cross in Matthew chapter 27, and notice verse 50, Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, notice what happens here. When Jesus Christ died, when He offered Himself as the sacrifice, when He died for your sins and my sins, that moment when He gave up the ghost, Something happened. Something opened up. Something that's been closed all those years has been opened up by Jesus Christ. What has been opened up? Verse 51, and behold, notice at that moment when he yielded up the ghost, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Notice, from the top to the bottom. And that's just to indicate to us that no man rent that veil. No man took a pair of scissors from the bottom and worked his way up. God rent the, twain, uh, rent the veil from the top to the bottom. What's the veil? Well, the veil is, is the separation between God and man. Man at that, at that point understood that he could not come into the presence of God. But when Jesus Christ died for our sins, God himself rent that, that veil so that we could enter into his presence. 
So in that sense, so that we can go back into the Garden of Eden. So in that sense that we can go and touch Mount Sinai. So in that sense we can walk into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus Christ did for us. The veil was red in twain from top to the bottom. And notice, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Interesting. Isn't that what happened in Mount Sinai? The mountain was trembling because God wanted to meet with man and He wanted man to know that God was a holy God. But by the way, at the crucifixion, we still know that God is a holy God because God at the crucifixion, He did not just forget sin. What he did at the crucifixion is he died for sin. Your sins and my sin and all the filth that is in the world and the wickedness and all the uh, imagination of, of the thoughts of man's heart, everything, every deed that was ever committed by you and I died on the cross of Jesus Christ. And the reason why the veil was went in twain is because all who come to God through Christ can have boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies. Oh, not because you and I are good. We're not. But because we come through Christ. Turn with me to the book of Romans. Look at a few New Testament scripture that establishes very clearly this doctrine in Romans chapter 3. Remember, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. Isn't that what happened in Mount Sinai? Every mouth was stopped. They said before, God revealed Himself, had this meeting, said everything God says we will do. And after the meeting says we can't do it. The law didn't come so that man uh, somehow could, could keep the law and somehow find justification. No, uh, God brought the law to stop the mouth of man. He says in verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's it. When God gives the law, what do they do? Understand, when God gave the law, they didn't run to the mountain, they ran away from it. Why? Because they gave them the knowledge of sin. It shows them the, their complete sinfulness and wickedness. And so they didn't run to the mountain when they heard the law. Woo! Well, the law, we can keep it. They ran away from it. They recognized they couldn't keep the law. It gave them a knowledge of sin. In Matthew chapter, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded... Now remember, the law came by Moses... But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Notice, moreover the law entered, we could say by Moses, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, where did sin abound? At Mount Sinai. And it's abounded ever since. Grace did much more abound. Notice, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By who? By Jesus Christ our Lord. So the law came by Moses. Moses had to, the people had to run away. We don't want God to speak unto, more, unto us anymore. But grace came by Jesus Christ. And so wherever sin abounded, the grace did much more abound. And grace reigns through righteousness. 
I want to end with Hebrews chapter 12. Turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. Notice Hebrews 12, verse 18. Remember, the law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about two mountains here. Hebrews 12. He's going to talk about Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Notice, he says in verse 18, For ye are, what's the next word? Not come unto the mount that might be touched. What mountain is that? It's going to come clear. It's Mount Sinai. What kind of mountain was it? And that burned with fire. Notice, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voiced they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was spoken, that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. That, that's the, the mountain. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That was Moses, by the way, the one who uh, uh, could come unto the mountain and who could uh, be the mediator between God and man. And even Moses, he, he trembled. And, and he says here, to those New Testament believers, says, you're not come to Mount Sinai. You, you haven't come to, to Moses. You, you've come to someone who is far greater than Moses could ever be. Verse 22, but ye are come. Notice verse 18. Ye are not come. Verse 22, ye are come unto Mount Zion. Unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And so he says, you're not come to Mount Sinai. You're come to Mount Zion. See, in Mount Sinai, the law came by Moses. You have, you have Moses, the leader. Great leader. But at Mount Zion, you have Jesus, the king. At Mount Sinai, what did you have? Well, you had, you had blackness and tempest and thunders and lightnings. And at Mount Zion, it's a place of light. If you remember Mount Sinai, if a man touched the mountain, he was to be thrust through with the spear. If you come to Mount Zion, you'll be thrust through with the spirit. If you come to Mount Sinai, that's the place of the law. But, but Mount Zion, that's the place of grace. Uh, Mount Sinai, you remember, Mount Sinai says, you cannot come in. But Mount Zion says, whosoever will may come. Mount Sinai said, disobey and you die. Mount Zion says, I know you disobeyed, but I died for you. You are not come to Mount Sinai. Ye are come unto Mount Zion. You see, the reason why we have Exodus chapter 19 is so that we might understand exactly what God has done for us. 
None of us are worthy to even have any fellowship with God because we are defiled or wicked and sinners and we are completely separated from God. And the only reason that we can have today any fellowship with God, any communion with God, or, any, or come to the throne of grace with boldness to have God minister to us in times of need, the only way we can do that is because God made Himself known in the person of Christ. He became a man without ceasing to be God, and He Himself rent the, the veil in, in twain from top to bottom so that we can come into the presence of God. And that doesn't mean that God is no longer holy. Oh, no, no, no. The cross means that our sins have been paid for in full. We have to get rid of this notion today of those who says, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he just, or uh, you hear that today. Well, come to Jesus. He accepts you as you are. No, he does not. And I know I've said this before. He does not accept you as you are. He only accepts you in the person of Christ. Why? Because we are all unacceptable to God. The only way we can be acceptable is through Christ. He took our sins, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God hath made him Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin and we get his righteousness by faith. That's what you call a substitution. But understand who it is that bore our sins. It's God. God. The same God that says you cannot come I want you to know that you are completely unworthy, unable, because you're wicked and I'm holy. But then at the same time, God makes a way to reconcile us to Himself through the sacrifice of Himself. And He makes a way for us. And when we understand that, we understand that Mount Zion is only truly understood when Mount Sinai is understood. Because if Mount Sinai is not understood, then Mount Zion means nothing. Why? Because Mount Zion shows us that the door is opened to the God of Mount Sinai. God has not changed. He just made a way. He made a way through Christ.